Good evening, Chapel Hill and friends. We welcome you to this celebration of Maundy Thursday. It's an unusual name. It comes from the Latin word mandatum, which means commandment. And that is derived from the teaching of Jesus. In that upper room on that last night before he was crucified, Jesus said to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. In this season of coronavirus, we're learning a lot of things about what it means to be a new church in a new kind of way. Frankly, I think many of the things we are learning are wonderful. We are also learning what it means in a new way to love God, to love our neighbor, and to love each other. And so even though we cannot gather here as we long to be able to do, we are going to gather tonight for a virtual experience of worship, and we are going to share in something unprecedented. We're going to share in virtual communion. We've never done that before. Ordinarily, communion, which we treat as very holy, very sacred, is something that would take place in a worship service with the preaching of the Word and so forth. Of course, we can't gather for that reason, and I'm very grateful that our denomination has offered permission for us in this season to be able to offer communion in this new way, virtually. And so I invite you this night to prepare for that. Of course, as we always say, communion is a gift to the believers of Jesus. So if you don't consider yourself yet a follower of Christ, I warmly invite you to enjoy this service, participate in every way, but I would urge you to refrain from partaking of communion. But if you and your family do love the Lord and you are prepared for this moment, then I invite you to share in what might be one of the most precious and sacred times that your family has ever shared in your home, a time of communion around your home church. You should have already prepared the elements. If you haven't, the, after, during the prelude, you'll have a chance to get the wine and the juice together. I'd urge you to have the juice and the, and the bread. I'd urge you to put the juice in a goblet large enough for you to dip the bread into it, and uh, then we will be serving it later on. We're very glad to welcome you to this time when we are reminded just how much Christ loved us. A, a greater love has no man than this, the man with a down his life for his friends.
going to open our time of worship together in song. And so I'd invite you to pray with me as we prepare our hearts to worship. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for all that you've done for us. And Lord, we're grateful for this opportunity to remind our hearts who you are and what you've accomplished on our behalf. Would you prepare our hearts now for worship as we praise you and we thank you for your wondrous love shown to us on the cross of Calvary. To you be the praise, Lord Jesus. We look forward to worshiping you now. In Jesus' name, amen. survey.
Well, good evening, everyone. It's so great to be with you here on this Maundy Thursday evening. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Gunnar. I'm the director of worship here at Chapel Hill. And I have to say as we get started that Maundy Thursday just so happens to be one of my favorite services of the year. And as we were preparing for this service, I have to admit that I wasn't expecting us to be sharing it virtually. It wasn't what any of us anticipated at the time. In fact, I, I think that many of our lives right now don't look anything like we were anticipating they would be uh, at this time. And in fact, I even heard that Jesus himself, his plans changed up a little bit. I saw this, uh, this graphic earlier this week. It'll be up on the screen there for you. This is Jesus celebrating Monday Thursday this year. Uh, that's him uh, celebrating the, the Last Supper with his disciples that are on the top. He's on a Zoom call because he couldn't have everybody come in. I have to say, it, was, it wasn't until like the third time I saw this that I noticed the little Purell bottle next to Jesus there. So anyway, I thought that was so funny. The second I saw it, I knew I had to show it to you, because we can all use a little bit of levity during these tough times. And speaking of tough times, I think we'd all agree that this has been a really challenging season for all of us. It's not what we expected, and more than that, it's worse than what we expected. There's something about isolation in particular, about being stuck in our homes that's especially challenging for us as human beings. I was talking with our counseling director, Shannon, this last week, and just just connecting with her about how this whole isolation thing impacts us, especially emotionally. And she sent me some quotes, and this was one of them that she sent to me that was especially alarming. It said that social isolation has been associated with a significantly increased risk of premature mortality from all causes. There's also a consistent relationship between social isolation and depression, anxiety, and suicidal ideation. Those are some distressing facts. But they're facts, nonetheless, and this stuff that we have to wrestle with. I, I've personally never heard of more loved ones passing away than uh, I, we've, I've had pass away in the last week. I've heard of folks struggling in their addiction recovery. I've heard of people struggling to make sense of a new, new life, kind of a new normal, and how to make sense of their lives in an isolated reality. All of these struggles, each and every one of them, in many ways, define the world that we're living in. And this world, this environment, can lead us to a pretty tough spot, personally. If you've watched the news in the last few weeks, you've probably heard of something that people are calling the curve, the curve. And what folks are talking about is this curve that you'll see up on the screen. Uh, it's the progress of COVID-19 and how the numbers have the tendency to go up and up at a faster and faster rate over time. And so the goal for us as a society, they say, is to what? Flatten the curve. Flatten the curve to slow the spread of the disease any way that we can. That's what we could call the disease curve. But the question I want us to start off with this evening is this. Where are you on the despair curve? Where are you on the despair curve? In other words, as time goes on, is your curve at a high peak uh, or is it at a low peak? A slow incline or is it picking up speed? Where are you on the despair curve? It can be tough for each and every one of us to face feelings of despair when we feel like we may lose our sense of hope, our sense of strength. And so we must ask ourselves, what do we do with our despair? How do we flatten out that despair curve? And what we're going to find in the scriptures together tonight is that there's actually a spiritual practice 
that can help us work through our despair in a healthy way. A discipline that Jesus himself practiced during his final hours on that Thursday night. And we're going to discover this practice from the Psalms, from one Psalm in particular, and that's Psalm 13. So if you want to turn there on your phone or in your Bible, like I'm going to do the old school way, we're going to take a look at Psalm 13. Psalm 13. And we're going to ask ourselves an important question as we read this. What do we do with the despair that we feel? Here's what David wrote. He said, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, or I'm going to sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say I've overcome him, and my adversaries will rejoice when I'm shaken. But I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is God's word for us tonight. Would you join me in prayer that he'd help us to understand it? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the gift of your word, especially in a tough season. Lord, I know that there are many people watching right now, engaging in worship that that are facing a sense of despair, that they're wrestling with some deep feelings in this tough time. I pray, Lord, as we explore your word, would you minister to their soul now? Would you meet with us in a special way through your word? Would you encourage our hearts and draw us closer to you now? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to tell you right up front the main takeaway that I'm hoping that you'll get from our time together as we explore Psalm 13. Here's the main idea of our talk tonight. Friends, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay. What matters most is inviting God into your despair so that he can walk with you through it. That's the main idea. It's okay to not be okay. What matters most is that we come to God with our despair. Especially, essentially in these two things, what I want to offer to you is a permission and then a practice. I want to give you permission to know that it's okay to not be okay. But I also want to offer to you a helpful practice, and that practice is inviting God into your despair, the practice of inviting God into our pain. And that practice is what Christians have called for a long time the practice of lament. And we could define lament this way, a very simple definition. Lament is processing your pain through prayer. Lament is processing your pain through prayer. Regardless of your unique situation, friend, the answer to the question, what do I do with my despair, is the same for each and every one of us. The answer is lament. Lament. When we feel down, when we feel discouraged, when we feel like we just can't get ourselves together, like we're trapped in the depths of woe, the healthiest response is this. Process your pain through prayer. Express your pain. Wrestle with it a little bit. Be honest with God about it. Process your pain all through prayer. Our psalm tonight is going to teach us how to do that. It's going to teach us how to lament. And it does so by offering us four very critical and helpful movements of lament prayer. And we're going to take these one by one. So the first movement of our prayer appears in the opening words, this very short question. How long, O Lord? How long, 
O Lord. That O Lord part is very, very important because it teaches us the first movement, which is to invite God into your pain. To simply say, God, would you come and sit with me in my pain? Would you meet with me? And we can't overlook this very crucial step. And the reason we can't overlook it is because we're so prone to overlook it. Turning to God is so often a last resort for many of us because we're sinners. We often, to turn, uh, we often uh, uh, opt to turn elsewhere. Let me just tell you a few ways that you can turn. You can turn inward to yourself, which usually amounts to wallowing. You can turn to others, which unfortunately usually amounts to complaining. Or you can turn to an activity, which usually amounts to distracting ourselves from the pain that we experience. Now certainly we can turn to any one of those things secondarily, and we should. God has given us a time to process and people in our lives that we can turn to and activities that we can just enjoy. And all of those things are good gifts from God. But they're good gifts when they're in their proper place. And their proper place comes after God. We make a mistake when our first reaction to our pain, friends, is to wallow in it, complain about it, and distract ourselves from it because none of those things really ultimately do us much good. And so the writers of the Psalms, David in particular, exemplify the importance of turning to God because all of the lament psalms begin with some kind of address to God. We could list them all out. There's tons of lament psalms. But what we know from all of these laments is that the psalmist made a practice of turning to God when they were facing painful circumstances. They knew that this practice has the power to turn our complaint into an act of faith, to turn our wallowing into worship. And so let me just give you a few reasons why you should turn to God and invite him into your pain. They all have to do with God and who he is to you. Friend, God is the only being in the universe who is truly in control of your circumstances. God is the only being in the universe who truly understands what you're going through. And God is the only being in the universe who loves you perfectly and always, always has your best interest at heart. That's who God is to you. Jesus, in his final hours, knew that this is who the Father was to him. And he knew this better than any of us. And so Jesus decided to turn to the Father in his darkest hour in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I want to read to you that story, just a very short selection of it, from Luke chapter 22. And this is what we read. We read that Jesus came out and proceeded as was his custom to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples also followed him, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, Father, if you're willing... Remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently. And his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. Those were some of Jesus' last moments. And here's what Jesus demonstrates to us in these last moments. He demonstrated that he knew his father well. He knew that his father had control, that his father cared like nobody else could care and understood more than anybody else could understand. And so Jesus' choice in his final hours of life when he was experiencing deep despair was to turn to God. And he turned to God with such emotional vigor, with such intensity that he sweat out 
drops of blood. I, I can't even begin to comprehend what that would be like. But here's the good news in all that Jesus exemplifies for us. It exemplifies a reason for a huge relief in our lives because if Jesus, the perfect son of God, was not okay, then it means that it's okay to not be okay. Jesus was not always okay. And this is important for us to recognize because when we, need to, when we recognize that Jesus wasn't always okay and that he turned to God in his pain, we're inspired to do the same. The fact that Jesus, the most holy, the most perfect, the most grounded, loving, peaceful person ever to walk the face of this planet needed to lament, man, that means that we need to lament. It means that we really need that practice. Friends, it's okay to go to God with your pain. Now, let me just give you permission. You're not going to burden him. You're not going to surprise him. And he loves you dearly. And so we're invited, each and every one of us, to turn to God first. Not to self, not to friends, not to activities, but to turn to God. That's the first movement. All right. The second section of this psalm is very important as well. It's where David actually begins to question God a little bit. He gets to express his dissatisfaction with his circumstances. This is where we learn the second movement, and here it is. Process your feelings with God. So we turn to God, but it doesn't just stop there. We move into a place where we're able to process our feelings with God. And here's what David writes, and you can almost hear the tiredness in his voice. He says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Did you notice the thing that's repeated a few times in there? What was it? Two words, how long? How long? This question is why I think that this psalm is so especially appropriate for what we're going through because I think every one of you, including me, is asking this question, how long? How long is this gonna go on, this whole COVID thing? It's overwhelming. How long will I be stuck in my house? How long will my loved ones suffer? How long until I can feel financially stable? How long? until I don't have to hear about another person suffering from this disease. How long? Really, Lord, how long? And so in Psalm 13, we get an inside look into what it means to be really honest with God. Pastor Megan mentioned this in her sermon on Sunday. It's okay to be honest with God. And in particular in this psalm, we get to hear how David is genuinely feeling about his circumstances. And I just want to read off a few of those feelings that I pulled from the text and ask you... Do you feel this way too? Are, are you getting this sense as well? So here's how David feels. He feels forgotten by God. He feels worn out from trying to find solutions to his problems. He feels depressed. I really believe that. He felt depressed. And he feels consumed by the conflicts that he's having with others. Can you relate? Can you relate? Unfortunately, friends, I think many of us have a very unhealthy relationship with our feelings. We don't always know how to handle them, and this is why lament is so very important to us. It's only that when we're honest with God that we fully experience our emotions and learn how to walk through them with God's loving guidance. It's only when we speak to God openly about what we're feeling that he helps us to process through it. We need God's help. Again, it was in Jesus' final hours that he faced 
the depths of despair in his life. And we could all admit that Jesus went through a lot of challenging stuff in his life. But there was nothing so challenging as what he was about to face. Jesus was about to encounter the most horrific experience that any human being could ever face on the planet. Really, truly. He was gonna face crucifixion, which in and of itself is horrific and horrendous. But we're told in scripture that he faced something even deeper and more profound than that. He carried on him the weight of human sin. And he carried upon his shoulders the wrath of God for that sin. I mean, we can't even begin to fathom what Jesus was experiencing physically and emotionally and spiritually. And here's what I think the worst part of the whole situation is. He knew it was coming. I mean, to know that that's how you're going to die and that's what you're going to experience and to, to carry that weight, that's just unbelievable. And that's where we find Jesus on Monday, Thursday, in the depths of despair, despair that we can't possibly fathom. And so who better to walk us through our times of despair than Jesus? Who could do a better job of supporting you through your darkest days than Jesus? He understands what you're going through better than anybody ever possibly could. And he's with you. He sees you. And so here's my encouragement from that second movement. Process your feelings with God. Be honest with him. He already knows you inside and out, and there's nothing that you could say that will surprise him or change his love for you. And so share what you're feeling with him honestly, and you'll be amazed at the work that he does in your life. So that's the second thing. Process your feelings with God. And here's the third. The third thing is we're implored to direct our requests to God because David here asks for God's help. And so the way that we could articulate that is to petition God to help you. That's the third movement. So you invite God into your pain, you're honest with him about how you feel, and you work through that with him, and then you ask for God's help. Uh, This is the part in the psalm where we get an even deeper insight into what David was actually facing. Not just what he was feeling, but what he was facing in our psalm, Psalm 13. And again, this is why this is a very fitting psalm for our experience, because what David was facing was an illness. He was sick. He was so sick, in fact, that he was concerned that he was about to die. And David's also really concerned all with that about the way that his enemies would read into his sickness because David was a leader of God's people, Israel. So anything that happened to David had implications for the people and also implications for the reputation of God. It was a lot weighing on David's shoulders. And so David doesn't hold back. And he asks God for what he really wants, starting in verse 3. This is what he says. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes. In other words, bring me healing, or I will sleep the sleep of death. I'm going to die, is what he's saying. And my enemy will say, I've overcome him. And my adversaries will rejoice when I'm shaken. That's his concern. Like I said toward the beginning, this message is a lot about giving you permission. And so I want to give you one more form of permission. It's okay to ask God for what you want. It's okay to ask God for what you want. God actually commands that you ask him for things. Jesus is quoted as saying, is asking you what? Shall receive, right? Asking me what shall receive. It's okay to ask for things from God. And it's actually okay to ask for what you need from God, what you think you need. 
Uh, Let's consider Jesus' prayer again in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember that Jesus asked this simple phrase. Do you remember what it was? He said, let this cup be taken from me. Another way to paraphrase that is, take this suffering away from me, oh God. Don't, don't, Don't allow me to go through this. Here's what I think is especially profound about that request. It's especially profound to me because, did you notice this? God didn't grant Jesus' request. Jesus didn't ask, okay, Lord, don't let me go through the cross, and then God said, okay. Because if, if God said yes, then Jesus wouldn't have gone to the cross. And so God actually denied the prayer of Christ here. Here's why I think that happened. Jesus' prayer was not answered so that yours would be. Jesus' prayer was not answered so that yours would be. You see, God turned his face away from Christ so that he might turn his face toward you. Jesus experienced the ultimate rejection so that we might experience the ultimate acceptance. Friends, you can bring all your requests to God because of Jesus. You can ask God for what you really need because of Jesus. God will, in one way or another, in his perfect timing, come to your aid because of Jesus. So in this crisis, let me ask you this question. What do you really need from God? Like, really, honestly, what do you need from God? Think about your situation. Think about your job, your family, your friends. Think about the problems you don't know how to solve. And then turn those thoughts into requests. Turn those problems into petitions. That's the invitation of the third movement of lament. Make your petitions known to God. Okay, so we've made it through three movements, and now we get to look at the fourth one, which just so happens to be my favorite one. And this final movement really is crucial, and let me tell you why. It's crucial because it's what distinguishes Christian lament from every other kind of prayer or meditation that's offered out there. The distinguishing factor of Christian lament is that biblical lament concludes with praise concludes with praise. So in this fourth movement, we are called to praise God for his care. Praise God for his care. This is what we find in the final verses of our psalm, and I I just love these words. David says, but I have trusted in your loving kindness, your chesed in the Hebrew, your loyal love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. That's, that's how his heart just can't hold it back anymore. He bursts forth in praise. Now, if you're anything like me, this idea of jumping to praise when you're in a season of lament can seem just completely overwhelming. To move from pain to praise immediately just seems like it's impossible. And by the way, if you feel that way, I think it's because you're normal. <laughs> I actually don't think we're supposed to just be in a painful situation and then pull ourselves up by our spiritual bootstraps and just start praising the Lord. It's not like we're desperate and then we're jumping around and and praising the Lord like that. I don't think that's how it's supposed to work. I do think a lot of Christians think that's how it's supposed to work. And maybe you've been holding yourself to that, that you're not allowed to feel times of despair and you're just supposed to pick yourselves up and, and, and praise God. I don't think that that's necessarily how it works. Certainly not how it works in the Psalms. Because in the Psalms, it's only through the process of lament that were carried gradually, phase by phase, from a state of pain to a state of praise. It's a gradual process. 
And as we're reminded of who God is through that process and how he cares for us, praise usually is a natural outpouring of our souls to God. And this is why we need those first three movements and why we took the time to look at them. Because it needs to move us gradually from pain to praise. But when we finally arrive at praise, it's actually a pretty profound gift for your soul. It's a pretty profound gift. It's when we praise God that we find ultimate comfort in who he is. We can find rest in the fact that even though our circumstances change, God does not. Even when our lives feel overcome by evil, God is not. Even when we grow weak and weary, God cannot. Even when we feel like we've lost control over our lives, God has not. We serve an unchanging, good, sovereign, all-powerful God who always has our best interests at heart. And here's the good news of it all. That great and glorious God loves you. He genuinely loves you. Friends, all good lament All good lament transforms into praise, praising God for who he is and what he's done. It's through praise that we're lifted up, even if just for a moment, from the challenges of this life to the wonders of the next, from the depths of woe to the heights of heaven. Even if just for a moment, we get to praise our God and rest in his presence. So let me give you permission one more time. I've said it's okay to not be okay. Here's another one. It's okay to take a little break from all the hard stuff that you're facing and just breathe in God's presence and be lifted up into his courts with praise. It's okay to take a break to praise your God. It's okay to find solace and rest in his presence. In fact, it's welcomed by God. As I've been thinking about this whole subject of lament and prayer and moving through prayer uh, from our pain to our praise, um, I was reminded of a conversation that I shared with one of my family members a little over a week ago now. I had the chance to enjoy a conversation with my grandmother on the phone. And uh, she doesn't live in the area, but um, it was really nice to talk with her. It was very encouraging. And And like many of you, my grandmother lives alone. And so this social isolation thing is a challenge to just be alone in your space for that long amount of time. And so I asked my grandma, I said, how are you filling the time? What do you do with all this time where you're you're stuck at home? And when I asked her about that, I wondered if she was going to share maybe some books that she was reading or uh, maybe some shows that she was enjoying. And she surprised me in the best possible way by telling me that the way that she was filling her extra time was with prayer. Hours of prayer, in fact. And that was so cool to me. It was so cool to, to be able to have that example from my grandmother. And as we considered our, our, continued our conversation together, what I started to realize was that she had a very different perspective than the perspective of a lot of other people, including myself. Because my grandmother didn't take time to complain about her circumstances. She expressed her concern for other people who were truly suffering. She didn't complain about what she didn't have. She was celebrating all that she did have from God. And as I've been thinking about that over the last week or so, I couldn't help but draw a connection between her prayers and her perspective. There's something about coming to God, inviting him into our despair, processing through our our pain in prayer, that gives us a whole new perspective, an eternal 
perspective, maybe a perspective that you and I would long for. And so I'd encourage you, make lament your practice. Friends, it's okay to not be okay. What matters most is processing that not okayness in the presence of God and inviting him in to work through your pain with you. And so let me ask you the question that we started with, and this is going to lead us into our, our next phase here of our time together. Where are you on the despair curve? Where are you on that despair curve? Where is your level of despair or depression or feeling down in the dumps? Where are you on that curve? My hope and my prayer for you is that you would take that despair, whatever it is, that you'd bring it to God and that he would fill your heart with hope through the practice of lament, that he would flatten out that despair curve a little bit in your life. And so if you want to give this lament thing a try, we're going to do that right now. We're going to allow this to be a way that we prepare our hearts to take communion together, as Pastor Mark talked about a little bit earlier. We're going to do that just in a few minutes. But we're going to practice this process of lament together, just going one movement at a time. And I'm going to give you the opportunity to be honest with God. We're just going to take a minute to pause, to be okay with not being okay, and to invite God in through prayer. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Perhaps you can just close your eyes, bow your head, may even want to just put your hands open out on your lap just as a posture to invite God, invite God into your situation. Maybe you haven't talked to God in a long time, or maybe you're the best of friends. Either way, would you just start off this time by addressing God, by speaking to him and saying, God, I thank you for this time of prayer with you. Would you come to my aid? Would you Would you meet with me in this time? I invite you into my pain. Just take a minute to invite God into your pain, whatever that pain might be. And then I want you to just begin to consider how you feel right now, to take a little inventory on your feelings, on your heart. And begin to share what you feel with God. Maybe you haven't cried in a long time. Maybe you haven't uh, just been able to share with somebody completely honestly about how you feel. God is the one who's here to hear from you now. So begin to process your feelings. Say, God, I feel blank. Begin to share that with him. God what you're feeling. And now we're going to take a moment to move that processing into petitioning. Think about the things that you need right now in this season, in this time of social isolation where work looks different, family looks different, friendships look different, 
life all around looks different and just be honest with God about what you desperately need from him. Say, God, would you help me with blank? Just let the words flow. just pray over you right now. Lord, would you hear the requests of these people in Jesus' name? Would you come to their aid in the way that they need you? Would you grant them your peace? Would you meet with them in a special way? Would you remind them of how much you love them? Would you hear their prayers now in Jesus' name? And then friends, we're going to finish our lament just like the psalmist did. By giving God praise. Just think of an aspect of who God is to you that is very special, that really encourages your soul. Or maybe think of a way that God's helped you in the past where you saw that had to have been God. And just begin to thank him and praise him for who he is and what he's done. Say, God, I thank you that you are. I thank you that you have. And fill in the blank. praise you for who you are. There is none like you in all the creation who loves us like you do, who's in control like you are, who hears our petitions and acts upon them. God, we praise you for who you are. We thank you that you're meeting with us now. And Lord, as we continue to worship, as we continue to sing, as we take communion together, would you fill us afresh with the spirit, the spirit of hope, the spirit of life, the spirit of peace. Would he come to make his way in our hearts and lead us, Lord, into a deeper fellowship with you? We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, we're going to continue in worship. And one of the ways that we do that is by an offering. And so uh, we're going to take this offering together. And uh, if, if you're visiting with us, if, if you're new to, to worshiping with us at Chapel Hill, uh, please don't feel any obligation to give. But uh, if you call Chapel Hill your home church, there's going to be a link in the description for you to be able to give at this time as we hear this next song and reflect. And then regardless of if you call Chapel Hill home or not, we'd love to connect with you. We'd love to actually join you in, in praying prayers of lament. We'd love to come to your support and encourage you. And so please fill out that weekly check-in that you'll find uh, in the description as well. That's just our way of connecting with you, our way of supporting you during this season. We're going to continue in worship. I encourage you, whether you're giving or typing in your weekly check-in or you're just sitting there, to continue in a, a spirit of reflection and to just let these words that uh, Serena is going to sing just wash over you and encourage your heart. Father, would you come by your spirit and refresh our souls, we pray now. In Jesus' name, amen.
Now I invite you to lean back into the loving arms of your Father as we share together in the sacred act of communion, what we call a sacrament. This is precious and holy to us, a a reminder of what Jesus shared with his disciples on that last night before he was betrayed. I want to urge you, as I did at the beginning of this service, if you do not yet consider yourself a follower of Christ, we're so glad that you shared with us in this time of worship But out of respect, I would urge you to refrain from partaking in something that you do not yet believe. Of course, it could be that the Holy Spirit has prompted your heart tonight. And that as you listen to this, you say, I want what has been spoken of. I want to be a part of this family. I want to share in this meal. And if that is you, I can think of no better way for you to invite Jesus into your life than to receive his body, his blood, and in the act of partaking of communion, you are saying, I receive you, Jesus, as my Savior and as my Lord. So I invite all who love Jesus, all who are sorry for their sins, to come to this table. It is for you. I want to tell you a little bit how we're going to do this. I am going to read scripture, and I'm going to pray a prayer of consecration, And that simply means that we're going to ask God to take common elements of bread and juice and do something holy and mystical and mysterious with it. So I will pray that prayer, and then as the music plays, we are going to share together in the elements. When we're done with this service, I would ask you to dispose of them respectfully. Maybe you'll just go ahead and eat the rest of the elements, or maybe you'll return them to the soil from whence they came, and that would be perfectly appropriate, but that'd be an important thing for us to remember. And if you are alone, I want to share in communion with you first. And so after I have read the scripture and prayed, you and I are going to share in a time of communion, and I'd ask our families just to hold on for a moment. So let's come to the table of the Lord. The Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had blessed it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body, broken for you, for the forgiveness of your sins. And then after supper, Jesus took the cup and and poured it. And he said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood, poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. All of you, as you eat the bread and drink this cup, I want you to remember my life, my death, my resurrection. And so that's what we're going to do now. We are going to share in this holy meal, and we're going to start by asking God to consecrate these elements to a holy purpose. Would you join me in prayer? And so, holy God, we thank you for the love of Christ, the love that was poured out for us in his His poured out blood that was demonstrated for us in the brokenness of his body, how much he cared for us. And so in astonishment, in awe, in humility, we come to the table that remembers that gift. We pray, God, that you would take what is a common piece of bread and some common juice and set them aside for a holy purpose that they might be for us the body and the blood of Christ and that in the partaking of them, we might find nourishment for our souls. 
Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us and grant us your peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people said, Amen. I want to sup right now with those of you who are alone. And I would say, first of all, that you're not alone. Jesus is right there with you in your home. And further, you are bound to the hearts of your brothers and sisters by that same Spirit, so you are not at all alone. In fact, I invite you, would you dine with me right now? Would you please take a piece of bread? And would you hear me as I say to you, this is the body of Christ broken for you. And now would you take that bread and would you dip it into the cup as I remind you that this is the blood of Jesus poured out for you because he loves you. And then would you do me the privilege of joining with me as we partake of these elements together. And now to those of you who are gathered in a family, I want to invite one of the parents to please take the bread and distribute them in the bread in just a moment when the music begins. Each time you do, you will say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. And please, each person, retain the bread for a moment. Then another parent, or perhaps the same parent, will take the juice and go around to each person. And, that, and they will say, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then you may dip bread into the juice, and you may partake. And we don't want to forget mom and dad, so when you are done sharing, then I'd invite parents, perhaps to serve one another, which will be very precious. Or, maybe you invite the eldest child to come up and serve the two of you. That also would be very meaningful. This is going to be one of the most precious times you've ever shared in worship in your home. And I invite you to the table of the Lord. Holy Spirit, would you fill each person who is partaking now in this holy moment. Uh, may God, may they be sanctified in this. May they be uh, strengthened by this gift. May they be encouraged by this gift as they are reminded of your incredible love for them. For we ask it in the name of Christ and all of God's people said, Amen.
I hope this moment that you just shared with your family was precious for you. You realize, don't you, that the first century Christians, that's how they did church. They didn't have big church buildings to go to and do communion by the hundreds. They hunkered down in their little homes and family after family proclaimed the love of Jesus Christ in the sharing of the bread and the wine. So you have entered into a very sacred and ancient moment just now, and I'm glad that you were a part of it. I want to remind you of a couple of more items. We're not done in our journey through this week that we call Holy. Tomorrow, in fact, we are going to join with hundreds of thousands of Christians across the country in a day of prayer and fasting. Good Friday, we're setting that aside as a day of prayer and fasting in which we are going to appeal to the Lord in this time of pestilence that he would lift his hand, he would lift this scourge, and he would deliver this nation and this world from this terrible virus. Would you join me in that time? We're going to fast and pray. You can fast a variety of ways, but we're going to begin at 6 a.m., and I'm going to be your host all day long. So every hour on the hour from 6 a.m. till 9 p.m., 16 times, I'm going to meet with you on Facebook Live. I'm going to share with you the topic for the hour of prayer. I'm going to read a scripture, and then I'm going to pray with you. I think it'll be a very powerful and profound journey I hope you'll join me. You can find the link on our website. And I look forward to praying and fasting with you all of tomorrow. And then, of course, the glorious day of celebration, Easter Sunday morning, the day that changed forever. We're going to worship at 10 o'clock. And for the first time ever as a church, we will worship at one hour on Easter. And thousands of you will be scattered across this region and around the world as we proclaim the glorious news. He is risen. Christ is risen indeed. So join us. Invite your friends as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But not yet. Tonight is a time of darkness. Tonight we are reminded of the arrest of Jesus, how they carried him off to the house of Caiaphas, how he was betrayed by his closest friends, utterly alone. And we are reminded too of the secrecy that prevailed from that moment forward as they had to hide and hunker and they prayed in secret, fearful for their lives. Entering into that moment, then one final time, I invite you to join in this tradition of ours, which is the whispered Lord's Prayer. Would you join me in this prayer? And then our service is concluded. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory 